And so here we are. Guess what we get to talk about this morning? Money. And talking about money, it's quite awkward, isn't it? We could pretty much talk about anything in life. We could talk about sports. We can talk about our diets. We can talk about personal hurts and trials and struggles. But personal finances, hold up. We don't talk about those. Talking about our personal financial situations kind of makes us bristle a little bit, doesn't it? We're all pretty secretive about our financial situation, about how much we make, about what we do with what we make, about how much we give to charity and how much we give to church, how much we give to missionaries out on the field, how much we've accumulated in our bank accounts, how much we've put away into savings. We're pretty tight-lipped about it all. But flying in the face of all of our cultural values, all of our cultural hang-ups, all of our sensitivities about our earthly treasures is our Lord Jesus Christ who brings the subject out into the great wide open. And if you read through Scripture, you will notice, if you read through the Gospels, just simply the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus speaks about money a lot. He tells us what we ought to be doing with it, what our attitudes ought to be towards it, the dangers of it. More than almost every other subject in the Gospels, Jesus talks about money. Why? Why does he talk about money? Is it because it's wrong to possess money? No, it is not wrong to possess money. Is it because money is in and of itself evil or bad? No, because money in and of itself isn't evil or bad. Jesus speaks about money so often because more than any other temptation we face in life, the love of money and our attitudes toward money is one of the most subtle, one of the most private, and one of the most soul-damning of sins. And listen, we are all prone to falling into this sin. We are all in danger. And if we are not careful, our cultural values about money, values that give us freedom from any accountability with what we do with it, attitudes towards it and our actions with it can and often do overtake us to the degree that we begin focusing on accumulating earthly wealth at the expense of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven in all facets of life every single one of them Scripture calls us to transparency. Scripture calls us to openness with one another. Why? For the sake of our souls. As we are encouraged by one another, as we are rebuked by one another, exhorted by one another, and disciplined as necessary for our growth up into the image and likeness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so as we explore the Gospel of Matthew, as we move forward with this gospel, you will see that this subject comes up over and over and over again as Jesus is almost relentless in his warnings about what earthly treasures can do to your soul and what they can do to mine. And the Apostle Paul summarizes it nicely when he taught 
uh, the young pastor Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read these words. Listen to them. Apostle Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Did you catch all of the dangers that are associated with the love of money in that text? It is a snare. Now, do you know what a snare does? A snare is a hidden noose that an animal walks into or runs into that when it is caught by it, chokes out the very life from that animal. The love of money leads people, according to Paul, into senseless and harmful desires, which plunge, he says. Now you picture that, right? Picture something grabbing your head and holding it underwater, drowning the life out of you. And even more... He says, the love of money is a craving that leads those who profess faith in Christ to actually wander away from the faith. And the word wander here means to slowly and gradually stray from the right path. And as a result of their gradually wandering away from the right path, they pierce themselves, it says. And that word pierce means to be impaled or to be put on a spit. You see the pictures that are being drawn here? They pierce themselves with many pangs. They impale themselves with many pangs. And pangs, in Paul's words here, means distress, intense anxiety, mental and or physical pain. The love of money, the desire for riches, increases our worldly anxiety. And in many cases, one's anxiety, as we will see next week, can be traced directly back to how much concern we have for our earthly treasures. So what's the solution? According to Paul, it's godliness with contentment. And how do we maintain this disposition of godliness with contentment? With the help and the encouragement of fellow believers. We need each other. And that's something that's almost impossible for us in this day, given all of the layers of awkward weirdness that we hold in regards to talking about money. Because it is a weird subject to talk about, right? And Jesus does not, however, adhere to the same cultural hang-ups that we do. And so he talks about, like I said before, he talks about the issue of money throughout the Gospels a lot as do the rest of the apostles and the writers of the New Testament letters and books. And as we read through the New Testament, we're taught a number of things. We're taught that we ought to pay our taxes, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. We are taught that we are to use our financial blessings to aid and to help the poor and needy among us. And that when our fellow believers are in need, when they ask for help, we're to help them out of our abundance. 
We're told that when we give, we're not to make it a spectacle or a show, but we give for the glory of God. We are taught that to provide for the essential needs of our immediate family. And this is actually really direct because Paul wrote instructions to Timothy about how to be a pastor. And one of the things that Timothy is supposed to do is rebuke those who don't provide for the needs of their immediate family. To rebuke men who do not provide for their families. In 1 Timothy 5.8, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are some strong, strong words. Jesus teaches us that we're to be wise stewards with the resources that God has given into our hands while we live on earth and that he will require an accounting for how we use those resources in the end. Jesus instructed all who follow him not to hoard up for themselves earthly wealth or resources, not to set our hearts on earthly treasures as they can and do often become gods that displace or shift our allegiance from Christ to the treasures. We are taught to keep from lording our financial situation over others because pride and arrogance can so easily and quickly creep in in, and develop in response to our economic growth. Jesus prohibited coercing and manipulating others with your resources, using your wealth to get things your way. And I've heard a number of stories throughout church history of people who give lots trying to use that, um, their wealth and their giving to coerce and manipulate the church to go in the direction that they wanted to go in. That is an evil thing to do. And Jesus made it clear in the New Testament that it is difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's just a few of the things that Jesus mentions about money in the New Testament. Now, just in case any of us are trying to squirm out from under Jesus' words here, I want you to know something. In comparison to those that Jesus spoke to on this day, every one of us is rich. Every one of us is financially rich. If you own a car, one car, no matter how tattered that car is, no matter if when you step on the brakes the trunk opens or you can't close the door or the windows are broken and taped up with cardboard, whatever the car looks like, you are in the top 9% of the world. If you own two cars, you now move into the top 5% of the world. If you have multiple sets of clothing, for example, you, could, you have a set of clothing that you could wear for seven days in a row. Higher again. If you have food, enough that you can plan for meals over the next few days. If you have any disposable income on top of the numerous odds and ends that we spend our money on, all of this puts us at the very top of the global scale and the, the people in other countries all over the world look to us as the rich. And I only say this because it's easy for us to assume that the words of Jesus here refer to somebody else, right? To refer to those people who are rich. The Jeff Bezoses or the, the guy who owns Amazon or the Elon Musk, we can look at them, look at all the money they got, I got nothing. It's easy for us to compare ourselves to those who have more than we do, but listen, you and I are the ones that the majority of the world looks at and says, they're rich, I wish I could have what they have. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having it. The, the, what Jesus is speaking to here is the attitude towards that stuff. 
It's easy to say, I'm not rich. They are rich, but you are, we are all rich. So this morning, I just want us to recognize that Jesus in our text here is speaking to us, speaking to me, speaking to you. Jesus here, and, and, and even if by some measure or some way you can say to yourself or you can honestly say, I'm not rich, Jesus' teaching here still applies to you because we are all always in danger, whether rich or poor, of having money as our God, of loving money, of wanting to accumulate earthly treasures at the expense of building up treasures in heaven. Now, once again, as culturally uncomfortable as this makes us, Jesus spoke about money a lot. And our attitudes toward money, what we ought to do with our money, he spoke about that a lot. And this feels a little bit unnatural for us in the West, talking about money, kind of awkward. I actually don't like talking about money. I don't like bringing it up. I don't like standing up here and talking to you about your money. I'm quite aware that by speaking about money here right now, I'm feeding into a cultural narrative regarding the church, that all we care about is money. And I get that. It's one of the many factors contributing to our discomfort with the subject. But just know this, I don't want your money. I don't care about your money. I care about your soul. And there's a number of factors that have built us up here to the point where we don't like to talk about it. One of them is those religious leaders, those pastors, those so-called bishops and self-proclaimed apostles that tirelessly and perpetually cry out for people to give on TV, to send in their checks, to sow their seeds of faith, and then to use those givings not to feed the poor, not to help the gospel be proclaimed to unreached people groups, but for their own luxury, to purchase bigger houses, opulent cars, $10,000 watches, and in the case of some of the more egregious perpetrators, private jets. But it's not just religious leaders as well. We don't like to talk about money because of all the abuse we've seen on this subject. We got not just religious leaders, but but some Christian organizations as well, Christian organizations that start out good and we trust them and we know that At the beginning, they're focused on the proclamation of the gospel. They're focused on feeding the poor. But eventually, as the money comes rolling in, they turn less and less transparent with those finances and the smoke of misappropriation with those funds, along with straight-up theft and embezzlement coming out, become a roaring fire that angers us all and creates suspicion anytime we talk about money. Things like this cause some to paint all pastors all churches, all ministries with the same broad brush. They just want their offering plates filled. They're just in it for the money. And while this may very well be true for a number of pastors and ministries, it is not true of Jesus. Nor is it true of those who are faithful to Jesus and who want nothing more than to be like Jesus. Another reason why it's so difficult for us to talk about money and finances and salaries and why this unsettles us so much in the church is that we have created a culture of secret giving as the norm for church offerings. It's a custom that's been ingrained into our minds as this is the appropriate way to give, unless you're a part of the Dutch Reformed world. If you've ever been to any of those Dutch Reformed churches, some of them, have, they go into your house and they'll be like, all right, how much do you make every year? All right, so you've got to give 10%, and then they'll put it on a list, and they'll put it right at the door so that you can be held accountable. 
Now, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying it's interesting. But in Baptistic-type circles, we've, we like the idea of private giving. After all, we say, Jesus said we shouldn't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing, right? That's how we would frame it today, anyway. And to be sure, there are those who generously give to the Lord's work and want to remain anonymous, and by so doing, they honor the Lord. But along with those who give generously, along with those whose hearts are right, along with those who give in accordance with the guidelines set out in the New Testament, the secrecy of giving has also become, for many, a protective measure against anyone knowing that they don't give anything at all. Because they love money. The overall teaching of Jesus regarding money is such that we are to hold each other accountable in this area. And the idea that privacy and secrecy rules the day is actually counter-biblical. It's a cultural value, not a biblical one. Privacy in general is a cultural value that leads many to destruction and devastation as they languish in the private sins in the darkness keeping it to themselves and rebuffing people who try to hold them accountable with the ever-convincing, it's none of your business. We are afraid of getting in other people's business, right? But listen, your soul is our business. And if you claim to love Jesus, your life and your progression up into holiness is our business. My holiness is your business. Your holiness is my business. And know this, this idea of secret giving, you know that it wasn't actually instituted in the church to ensure the privacy of the giver? It wasn't instituted to ensure that the giver's financial situation was kept from everybody else? That's what we've made it over time. But the practice was established in older days to ensure that the pastor didn't know who gave what so that the pastor wouldn't show favoritism to the bigger givers over the little givers. Now that was in the day when the cachet of sidling up to and influencing the pastor had more appeal. In those days when the pastor had some sort of societal and cultural authority, some sort of respect, some sort of admiration in society, but I can tell you, those days are gone. But the vestiges of the times still remain in our dedication to secret giving. Now, just so you know, I'm not advocating any sort of upheaval here. I'm simply stating that we must recognize what the practice has produced in us, the values that it has produced in us. Over time, it's produced in us a protectionist mentality that makes it weird for us to follow the commands of Christ as a body in reference to our attitudes and practices with money. I'm not saying that everybody needs to go onto the roof and say, I make $60,000 a year. I'm not saying you have to do that. But if you are tempted, right? We have accountability partners and accountability structures for a number of things in our life. And so if you are one who may possibly be tempted by or going in the direction of a love for money, then it is incumbent upon you. It is for your benefit to find someone who can hold you accountable to that. Someone to whom you reveal your financial situation so that they can say, well, what are you spending your money on? Where is your heart in all this? Why are you doing that for the sake of your soul? 
It also extends, one of the reasons why it's a little bit weird is that we have outside of the church also a culture of secrecy, a culture of financial secrecy. It's prevalent in the world. I was actually reading a few articles this week about the growing number of millennials who are starting to push back on the trend of financial secrecy in the world. Millennials, those who are born between the early 80s and the early 90s. I just missed the cut. They're challenging the generally unspoken workplace rules and etiquettes of refraining from discussing your salary with your coworkers. And this privacy with regards to salary, it tends to be a bigger deal with the older generations. But it's changing in the younger generations because they are trying to attain higher salaries for themselves. There are numerous examples, you can read them, of companies and businesses and employers trying to institute gag orders to prohibit employees from conversing about their salaries. Now, why would they want to do that? That's an illegal practice in Ontario, by the way. But why would they want to do that? The reason is that a number of companies have stressed this etiquette for so long, ingraining it into our heads. You don't talk about your salary to save money. The articles that I read claim that companies don't appreciate salaries being discussed among employees because as people who do the same jobs or similar jobs realize that they're getting paid a lot less than somebody else who's doing the same job, will go to seek a raise from the business and they'll come to the table with proof. I'm doing the same job as so-and-so and they're making 15% more than I am. I would like to make the same amount of money. Businesses don't like that, do they? So rather than force the employer to create a more transparent salary system, they have attempted to discourage discussion, and we bought into it. Prizing secrecy. Prizing privacy. One writer declared that the practice saved companies all over the Western world boatloads of money. But the new and burgeoning destruction of secrecy in the world means that everyone is put in a better position during salary negotiations. Now, again, I'm not advocating for social upheaval here, but simply illustrating the point. If the world, if the world can recognize that transparency with their finances is of benefit as they negotiate for better salaries, as they try to gain more earthly riches, how much more then for the follower of Jesus Christ is transparency and openness of our earthly treasures to benefit us in our efforts to live for Jesus. The world has figured out, if I'm open with my finances, it helps me here. But we sometimes haven't figured out, if I'm open with my finances and I'm held accountable, it helps me there. How much more will it benefit us to be accountable so that we are not seduced by the deception of riches? so that we don't give in to the seduction of riches and so wander away from the faith, being plunged into harmful desires and pierced with many pangs? How much more is openness with one another as we seek to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven of benefit to us who want more than anything to love, serve, and live for Jesus here and now? We need each other. This is a temptation that is always present in all of our lives. We can so easily slip into love and the desire for earthly treasures at the expense of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaft. We need each other in, the, in our efforts to 
uh, do what the writer of Hebrews exhorted. He said in, in chapter 13, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he, Jesus, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we are called to avoid turning into that which James warned us against becoming. Listen to what James said. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What a warning. What a picture. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. Are your hearts fattened by a love for earthly treasures and riches? Are your hearts fattened as you hoard worldly goods at the expense of laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Hear our Lord Jesus as he speaks on this subject here in our text this morning. In chapter 6, verse 19, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So I want you to note the contrast here. Jesus gives us two sets of treasures here. Do you see that? There are treasures on earth, and there are treasures in heaven. So we're going to explore this contrast. First, let's take a look at the treasures on earth. Look what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is a command. This is Jesus setting forth a command for his people. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It refers to our relationship with the goods and the valuables on earth. We are commanded not to lay them up, meaning not to hoard them for the purpose of selfish indulgence, not to accumulate in order to, or continually gather more than we need and then to keep it for ourselves, watching the balance sheets rise and rise and rise beyond what is necessary for us to live our life. We don't appreciate in English repetition, we don't like the dramatic effect of it as the Jews did. And so we use the term lay up here, right? Lay up for your, do not lay up for yourselves. But the Greek word is actually treasure, meaning do not treasure up for yourself treasures on earth, right? Do not treasure them. Now again, the problem here is not the earthly treasures in and of themselves, okay? It's not the money in and of itself, the problem is the attitude that we sometimes have towards it. The attitude that desires the accumulation of worldly things. Those who gain some or most of their overall satisfaction in life from worldly things. That's a, how much of your satisfaction, comfort, and peace are derived from your worldly possessions? How much of your goals and your drive and your hopes and your annoyances and your general emotional and mental state connected to your earthly treasures? Treasures on earth, in this context, specifically refers to the accumulated wealth of, of the earth. 
whether it's money or jewels or precious metals or whatever it is that is valuable. Jesus said, do not desire the accumulation of such things as key to your joy, as key to your happiness and your peace. Do not set your affections on just continuing to get more and more and more. King Solomon actually gives us a wonderfully wise uh, word in the Proverbs when he said in Proverbs 23, verse 4, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. In other words, know when enough is enough. And again, let me pull back and just say there's nothing wrong with working, with getting paid to work, with providing for your necessities. There is something wrong, however, with the attitude of more, 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 more. The wise person will know when to desist. The wise person will know when they have enough. They will be discerning enough to know when their accumulation has turned into hoarding and a laying up of treasures on earth. So why would Jesus command us here to avoid the laying up of treasures on earth. He gives us two reasons in this verse. First, common sense dictates the temporary nature of earthly treasures. You see that? In verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and where rust destroy. You see that phrase? Where moth and where rust destroy. Moth and rust in this context are pictures of the unstoppable corrosion, eroding, and corruption, the ultimate vanishing of the things of earth. It's a passive ruining of the earthly treasures as they are consumed by the ravages of time. Everything that we've accumulated in life will one day be gone. They will ultimately be destroyed and ruined. This is the simple fact of living in this world, isn't it? All earthly things are temporary and will eventually fade away. And so because of that, we are called to watch out for the subtle deceptions of the heart that somehow tell us, no, no, this is going to last. This is going to last forever. It'll last the generations of my children. It'll last, 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 last. No, it will not. And again, I've had this conversation a number of times with people, over and over and over again, with people who love money. And they say things like, you know, what's wrong with making more, accumulating more, getting more? If I get more, I'll just give more. No, you won't. You will not. If you get more, you'll simply do with, what, do with that more what you're doing right now with what you have. Jesus made it clear in Luke 16, 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest with much. So if you want to know what you would do with more earthly wealth, if it were to find itself in your bank account, look at what you're doing with what you have now. And I've had this conversation with people a number of times. I've had them personally, I've had them in business, I've had them around, where people will say to me, if I make more... I will give more. One time I said to a person, are you making more now than you were 10 years ago? Oh yes, the Lord has blessed me. I'm making way more now than I was 10 years ago. Are you giving more now than you were 10 years ago? Well, no. Exactly. Exactly. 
you want to know what you will do with more wealth, look at what you're doing now. So passively, moth and rust will destroy, but it's not just passive either. Not only do earthly possessions and treasures fade away in the passive sense, but look at what the next line is in verse 19. They are also consistently threatened by active ruin as well, where thieves break in and steal. You see that? Where thieves break in and steal. It could be literal thieves who break into your house and carry off your possessions. I mean, uh, what's the new uh, porch pirates? You see that? Everybody's getting their Amazon packages. People are going right up and stealing packages in broad daylight. Could be literal thieves who break, go, to your, go onto your porch and, and carry off your possessions. The reference here is to the ease with which a house could be broken into in those days. You see, houses were made of clay for the most part. They didn't have great security. And so thieves could easily dig through the walls and steal anything that was left unguarded in the house. Some of your translations might say where thieves break through and steal. While we in our day have a little more security and our houses are a little bit sturdier than clay, the point remains, right? Our earthly treasures are always at risk. Always at risk of a thief. Always at risk of somebody trying to con you out of the money. Pastor Robert, yesterday or the day before, got an got a email from me that I didn't send. The email said, hey, I, I, need some, I need some money. Can you contact me? Don't phone me, though. Don't text me. Just reply to this email. And, and how many of you are getting emails from the Prince of Nigeria over and over and over again saying that they've got a ton of money for you? Everybody is out trying to steal. Literal thieves trying to steal your literal earthly goods. But it's not just literal thieves. There are numerous other bandits that are threatening us in this world at all times. Sickness, war, job loss, death, pandemic. All of us at any time are only one phone call away, one diagnosis away, one accident away, one job loss away from having it all stolen. Eventually, one or more of these lays hold of us. We cannot stop it. Moth and rust and thieves always come. And yet, and yet, even with this temporary, tenuous nature of earthly riches and possessions, the general mass of humanity is absolutely fixated on getting more. Perhaps you've heard the old joke about the rich man who died. It's told from the Roman Catholic perspective, but the rich man who died and he was brought up to the, the heavenly gates and St. Peter was standing there. And he begged Peter, I don't want to come in yet. Can I just go back and get some of my riches? Can I go back to, and fill up my suitcases with the things that I've accumulated on the earth? And Peter said, oh, okay, go and, go and get it. So the man came back to earth and he filled up his suitcases with all of his gold and with great strain. He lugged them to the gates of heaven. And Peter, curious as to what was so important to this man, what was so valuable to this man asked, hey, can I look in your bag? What is it that you're struggling so much with? And the man, beaming with pride over his earthly treasures, opened up the suitcases, and Peter, shocked, cried out, you went to all that effort for pavement? Get it? The streets are paved with gold. Come on. Groan. Yeah? Yeah? Come on now. I got to stop telling jokes. Nobody laughs at my jokes. 
That was a good one. <laughs> Jesus calls on us to prioritize the right type of treasure. Not the hoarding of earthly treasure, but instead the treasuring up of heavenly treasure. And this is most important because, as Dr. Craig Blomberg, uh, a teacher at one of uh, a Christian seminary in Denver, insightfully wrote, he said this, Many perceptive observers have sensed that the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not, as is sometimes alleged, prevailing ideologies like Marxism, Islam, the New Age movement, or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. Bang on! I'm constantly hearing about Islam and Marxism and, and whatever else, New Age and humanism, and while we do need to deal with those things, it's so much easier to take our guns and point them at everyone else, isn't it? And Jesus here is saying, listen, what is your heart doing in this culture of materialism? It's time for us to, to put those things back a little bit and start focusing on ourselves in this way. That's way harder than focusing on other people. Jesus wants us to address the danger of our own personal temptation to materialism, our own personal temptation to hoard treasures, our own personal temptation to trust in worldly goods for comfort and peace and satisfaction. Let me ask you a question. Could you love and serve God? Would you love and serve God if he put you forward like he did for, to Job? Could you? Would you? If the Lord put you forward and took everything away, I mean, we can sing it, right? He gives and takes away, right? If he took it all away, would you still sing that song? So it's time to hear the command of Jesus. It doesn't stop with the simple avoidance or prohibition of laying up treasures on earth but also a positive command. You see that? The negative is, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The positive is, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And this begs the question, so how do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? By serving God wholeheartedly in this life, with a singular devotion, living for the Lord Jesus Christ in this life, striving for holiness of life, obedience to his will, obedience to his command, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, helping people materially with your abundance. Now, this can be confusing because we're consistently taught over and over and over again the truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is completely true. If you desire eternal life with Christ, if you desire forgiveness of your sin, if you desire reconciliation with God, the only way to gain that is by faith, by believing in, trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. Such is the only way that anyone can be saved. But on a separate note, throughout Scripture, we realize that rewards or treasures are in a separate category. When you are saved, you are now working to build up rewards. And these rewards are determined by what we do here on earth. What we do on earth for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made it clear in Revelation twenty-two twelve. He said, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each for what he has done. 
And Paul, the Apostle Paul, exhorted the readers of his letters to labor for the Lord Jesus Christ in all areas of their life, including their financial lives, when he wrote, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So live right now for Jesus. Not for your earthly treasures. Obey Jesus. Honor Jesus. Love each other. And in so doing, reflect him to the world. Proclaim his name to the world. And in so doing, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures that cannot be consumed by moth or rust. Treasures stored in places where thieves cannot break in and steal. Treasures that are held in the hands of God himself. And because God holds them, we know that no enemy can overcome him. No enemy can snatch them from his mighty hand. Now again... To be sure, it is not sinful or wrong to wisely provide for yourself and your family. It is not sinful to provide what you need in winter, now in summer. Or winter, provide in summer what you get now in winter, if we're using our weather pattern. The Proverbs make it clear, as Solomon wrote, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Meaning, she prepares appropriately for upcoming seasons. That's okay. That's good. It's not sinful to possess wealth. However, it is sinful when your wealth possesses you. Earthly wealth in and of itself isn't sinful, but for most of us who attain it, it is a grave spiritual danger which is why we need each other. Earthly riches can be a great blessing to those whose minds are focused on storing up for themselves treasures in heaven as they use their wealth to provide for their family, to send missionaries out, to support the needy. But they can also be a deadly snare to those choking the spiritual life out of any who love earthly riches simply for the sake of earthly riches. And so Jesus makes it clear, what you love right now What your affections are set upon right now reveal where your heart is right now. The location of your treasure reveals where your heart is now because your affections are always drawn to what you love. And so it is of utmost importance for us to figure this out. Where is your heart right now? Your heart will be in one of two places. One of two locations, focused on accumulating treasures here or laying up treasures in heaven. And heart in this context refers to the center of your person, your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your sensibilities, all of those. Where are you located? Are you located in the vault with your earthly treasures or your heavenly treasures? And it's easy to say, right? Oh, I'm all in heaven, man. I'm all in heaven. It's easy to say that. But Jesus reveals throughout the Gospel of Matthew that saying something and doing something is completely different. Do you spend more time worrying about protecting and accumulating wealth here than you do helping others out with that wealth? Be honest with yourself. Like, seriously, be honest. 
Let's just say Christ called you to renounce all of your earthly wealth, to renounce your riches on earth for riches in heaven. Could you? Would you? Or would you be ready to renounce heaven for earthly riches? Which treasure owns your heart right now? Jesus will, in a few verses, reveal that anxiety over your earthly riches is a sign of your heart's location. Are you anxious about holding on to and accumulating more? Or are you devoted to following Christ and trusting in his care for you? As we will see next, in the, in the next section, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we have two competing allegiances before us. The riches of the world and the riches of the next world. And if your heart is located in heaven, Jesus will say in verse 22, look at verse 22, your eye is healthy. Right? Your eye is healthy. If your uh, heart is set on the riches of the world, Jesus will say in verse 23 that your eye is bad. You see those two, that distinction there? Your eye is healthy in one sense, your eye is bad in another. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The eye here is the metaphor for that which guides us on our course in life. That which we are fixed upon and in whose direction we travel as the eye leads the way. The good eye is referred to here as healthy. The word there means clear. It means generous. It means good. It means singular right? Not, the word for bad will mean double, like you see double, right? It's blurry. Here it means single. You can see everything. The healthy eye is devoted to the Lord. Its sights are focused on treasures in heaven. The healthy or the single eye sees everything clearly, possesses a true sight of the objects at which it looks. It recognizes that earthly treasures are okay to have, but to set your heart on them is a terrible thing to do. The healthy eye knows the trap of accumulating and focusing on earthly riches instead of heavenly treasures and is singularly focused, therefore, on treasures in heaven. And if our eye, the text tells us, is clear, or if it's healthy, it says our whole body will be full of light. You see that? Our whole body will be full of light, meaning that we will see clearly, we will walk without stumbling, we will walk without falling or stubbing our spiritual toes. Those whose bodies are full of light are full of light because their eye is good, because they know the truth. Their minds are not darkened. Their thinking is not futile and foolish because they've been deluded by the allure of earthly riches. The good eye instead exclusively focuses on the source of all true and lasting joy, Jesus Christ. Now contrast that with verse 23, the bad eye. See that? But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness The bad eye in this context is the eye that is set on the accumulation and hoarding of earthly treasure. The bad eye lacks generosity. The bad eye is focused on ensuring that this earthly life is full of earthly treasures. And that word bad carries with it the meaning of evil, diseased, confused, blurry, seeing double. The idea is that it mixes up the objects that it looks at. In this case, the objects being mixed up, God and money. And if the eye is diseased, 
If coveting earthly treasures is a disease of the eye, and the, then the eye is diseased, look at what Jesus said next, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Meaning you don't see right, because you don't see right, you are darkened and blinded because you're distracted by worldly aims, worries, and anxieties. Those with bad eyes walk in darkness and they are bound to stumble. They're bound to fall into harm and danger. Those with bad eyes, listen, right now your soul is in peril. And even the so-called light in you is nothing but more darkness. Focusing on the laying up of earthly treasures obscures and dims and diseases the eye such that God cannot be seen by that eye. Hear the diagnosis. If your life is dedicated to the accumulation of more earthly treasures simply to pad your bank accounts and to spend the vast majority of it on ourselves while your fellow brothers struggle to feed themselves, your eye is a diseased eye. And this is a terrible place to be because look what Jesus said next in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Your eye is either focused here or focused here. When you're looking at one, you can't look at the other. He pictures love and money, the love of money and earthly treasures as a rival master to himself. Do you see that? For Jesus, both the Lord and the love of money demand total allegiance. They are incompatible with one another in their demands. As the Lord commands us to live for him and in so doing lay up for ourselves treasures of heaven while the master that is love of money demands that we live to accumulate it while we are here on earth. Jesus makes clear our loyalties cannot be, may not be divided between the earthly values and heavenly values. And that could be tough, right? Very tough. Not just with money, but with everything. All we know is our life on earth, the stuff of earth. And it's so it's easy to accumulate baggage here, to root ourselves down here to the degree that we have so much that we don't even want to leave. However, Scripture is clear. Throughout, we are reminded we are foreigners here. We are exiles here. We are passers through on our way to the heavenly city where our real treasures are. And to get too caught up in the concerns of this world, too caught up in the cares of this world, to focus too much on the accumulation of this world's stuff is actually unbecoming of the follower of Christ. Now, to be sure, while we are here, God does dispense to us good gifts, gifts designed to serve as us as we serve him. The problem is that oftentimes we can lose sight of the purpose of the gifts, which is to aid us in our worship and gratitude to God, to aid us in our mission of calling people out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and instead of pointing us to God, rather than eliciting our gratitude, these gifts of God become our main focus in and of themselves. And when that happens, they've become our master's. And we've become their slaves. As earthly riches point their fingers, go do this, go do that. Directing us like a king sitting on his throne, we follow their instructions. Our hearts are taken over. Our eyes are bad. We are dominated. We are enslaved. And we, in essence, bow down in service to the treasure rather than the giver of the treasure. 
And this is why Jesus said in, 20, in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word there is mammon. Mammon means the earthly valuables as a whole. We will always know who our master is by who or what we choose to devote ourselves to. It always happens. I've watched it play out over and over and over and over again. And it's not just money. It's all worldly pleasures and lusts. Those who focus on the world, maybe it's money, maybe it's power, maybe it's other lusts of the flesh. Those who are focused on such things end up despising the Lord as he reveals himself in Scripture. Usually one of two things occur. They simply walk away from the faith that they once possessed when their lust and the scriptures disagree, or they modify the faith in such a way that they get both the sin they love and a Jesus that accepts and encourages them in that sin. And we in North America have exported to the world an entire heretical system of faith that allows people to accumulate earthly treasures while at the same time believing that they're somehow faithful to Jesus. It's called the prosperity gospel. It's trash. And also, many that call themselves churches are guilty of this as well. As the world ratchets up its antagonism to the gospel, as the world ratchets up its hatred for the Bible's definition of sin, as the world increasingly runs after the most repugnant and revolting of sins, sins clearly and explicitly condemned in Scripture, these, some of these label to, uh, labor to straddle the line of worldly acceptance and following Jesus. There's only one problem. The Lord is always left behind eventually by such communities because you cannot serve two masters. Because you will hate or despise the one or love and devote yourself to the other. Don't fall into the trap of adjusting God's word to fit your earthly desire. Do you hear that? Do not fall into the trap of adjusting God's word to fit your earthly desire. If you love money, if you love the accumulation of money, you love the hoarding of money, you find your peace and your satisfaction in money, your soul is in danger and your eye is diseased. If you love any sin and seek to adjust the word of God to fit your particular sin, your heart is focused on earthly things and your eye is diseased. You cannot belong to two masters, especially two masters who are as opposed to one another as God and sin are. Know this, your true allegiance will one day be made clear, either in this life or in the next. And so, in closing, I warn you, I exhort you, serve God, not money. Be careful that you do not turn into Judas. As we read in John 12, Judas cared not for the poor, but he loved the money bag. And out of that love for the money bag, he ended up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed our Lord into the hands of those who would put him to death. Be careful. Be exhorted not to be like Judas and sell your Savior, sell your Lord for earthly treasures. But instead, imitate the Apostle Paul, who for the sake of Christ saw all that he had once prized, 
all, the, all of the earthly accolades that he had once accumulated, after coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus, understood that all of them are as, as counted as nothing but loss as com- compared to knowing and serving Christ. So please, I exhort you, serve Jesus with clear eyes, singular devotion, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no thief can steal and moth and rust cannot destroy. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you for your word. Lord, your word is penetrating, difficult, insightful. It has a way of peeling back layers that have built up over us and the, and the removal of those layers can be painful. Lord, our cultural disposition towards money and the pervasive materialism of our culture, sometimes it comes, it comes upon us and we can't even understand that it has. We don't even know that it has. And so we've developed scales that protect us from recognizing that we can love money too much to the degree that we forget to lay up treasures in heaven because we're so busy accumulating wealth on earth. So I pray that you, Lord, would peel back the scales, peel back those layers, and expose us once again to the truth of your word. May our souls be singularly focused. May we be dedicated and devoted to you. And may our whole lives be lived to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.